Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. That song just brings tears of joy to my eyes, and I know and I pray it did to your heart and soul as well. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us to already worship this morning. We thank you for the choir. And Father, as they have communicated the power of your presence, as they have sung about the majesty of you, what is man? That you're mindful of him. And your eternal love, unconditional. It has shown through your son Jesus Christ in such a transforming way for so many of us here in this worship center that we have asked Christ to be our Savior. We ask him to be our Lord. And in your grace and forgiveness and unconditional love, you have eliminated our sin. You have freed us in Christ. And so you are mindful of us. You know about us. You know every intimate detail about us. And your love continues unconditionally. And so this morning, Father, I pray that through this service, we will be mindful of you. That we'll listen with our heart. We'll listen not just to the words and the songs and the prayers. But Father, we'll listen with our heart, with our soul. For those here today that have a faith in Christ, Father, I pray that your spirit who lives inside of each one of us will be intent on what you have to say to us. Help us to make the adjustments that are necessary. And today, God, we lift up our voices in song to give you honor and praise and glory. No one deserves that except you. And it comes from your creation. And it comes from the depths of our heart. And so today, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. This is the very first time that you've been here. You've not filled out one of our guest cards. We'd love for you to take the guest card from the pew in the front of you. Just fill out its entirety. And when you leave, if you would just drop it in one of the offering boxes, we would certainly appreciate that. Now this morning, let's stand and let's worship God with our voice as he is the audience of one. All hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel. Let's sing. Thank you. 
Jesus, 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 yes indeed, there is something about that name. And Father, we are here today to worship and to praise and to glorify you and your son Jesus. Father, I just pray that this morning that our praise and worship is pleasing to you, God. God, we thank you, Lord, that we can come together as a fellowship here and also online, Lord, and we just lift up our special requests to you Father, if there are any that are ill or that need you in a special way, Father, we pray that you'll just descend upon them this day. Father, we now pray that you'll bless Dr. Kennedy in this message. Father, I pray that we'll have open hearts and open minds to hear your word. And it's in that majestic name of your son Jesus that we pray, amen.
reading for this morning is from Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. Join us and be blessed by the reading. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with good something, God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. These are the words of the Lord, and we were uplifted in the sharing. not bow when the water turned to wine and not everyone would worship him when he gave sight to the blind out of all the miracles performed how could anyone deny no one said he's king of kings when the crowd cried, crucify. But one day, every knee shall bow in honor to the King. And every tongue confess that He is the Lord of everything. So the choice is yours to make. Do it then or now, but one day, one day, every knee shall bow, every knee shall bow. There are those who don't be 
join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much. What inspiration we have had this morning through all of the different elements of worship. And Ruthie reminds us through this song and her hands and her smile that one of these days every one of us will stand before you and then we will kneel. Father, it will be a time of celebration, a time of awe, a time that we will truly understand. And I pray, God, that as you allow us the breath to live, that you will help us to take that kneeling of humility and allness before you into everything that we do. And I pray that this morning you will speak boldly. <clears throat> through the attitude of the journey and this passage that Paul pins in prison to the church at Philippi. Help us to have ears to hear and to listen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A chaplain was speaking to a soldier who was in an army hospital on a cot and the chaplain began to talk with him and said, you have lost an arm for a great cause. And the soldier said, no, sir, with a smile. 
He said, I did not lose it, I gave it. When I read that, I thought, you know what? In the same way, Jesus did not lose his life, but he purposefully, with humility, gave it. There is nowhere in Scripture, I think, that you'll find a more magnificent statement than the statement that Susan read just a few moments ago. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it paints this absolutely amazing picture. And Paul does this for a very particular purpose. Writing from prison about 61 A.D., during that first Roman imprisonment, these words were written powerfully. The question is why. Why did he write these words as well as chapter 1 and the first four verses of chapter 2? Well, there were some in the church at Philippi that had an attitude. The word attitude has a number of meanings. The word attitude could be just a, an opinion, a, a general feeling that you have. Uh, it could be a physical posture. Like uh, when you're talking with somebody and they may not like it and they just fold their arms, you know, and so they have an attitude. Uh, it also could present itself as a challenging manner. In other words, somebody gets right in your face either arrogantly or, or assertively because they have something that they have against you or want to say about you. There's something in there that just seems to say, I'm going to challenge you almost like a streetwise teenager as we used to say you've got attitude the church at philippi was the first church founded by the apostle paul in europe he loved them devotedly they obviously loved him as well there was this beautiful relationship that they had but somewhere along the line paul understood that there were some in the church even in the midst of that love and that, that partnership to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ that had an attitude. And that sweet fellowship was in danger of those few people that had an attitude of creating a difficulty and a problem. And that would affect the partnership of the advancement for the gospel. So Paul desired to pin these words to help those who had a selfish proud self-centered attitude and spirit to say this is a teachable moment these were fairly new believers in jesus christ and having that understanding we can take on those attitudes or those opinions we can kind of bow our back a little bit paul says listen there's something greater than that for you and so, in rebuking those who had that kind of haughty spirit, Paul cited the humility of Jesus Christ, which was demonstrated by his incarnation and by his death. And so, he's writing to these believers at Philippi as a church, those who had the attitude would know who he was talking about in specific. He pleaded with them to walk before God and each other with that kind of humility. As in verse 5, he says, your attitude or mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It's interesting because many times 
People say, well, wait a second, I'm, an, I'm a unique individual, so I have certain characteristics about myself, and that's just who I am. And that's true, because we're all unique. We're, we're all different. We've had different experiences. We've gotten to this season of life with an understanding that, man, I've been through a lot of difficult times, and I've been through some really great times, and, and here's where I am right now. Even with Paul understanding that, because he's the one that talked about the uniqueness of every individual within his writings, he says, even with that understanding, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Not somebody else, but Jesus Christ. So here he appealed to the attitude of Christ. And I think the most natural reading of this to understand what Paul was trying to say is this way. Think this in you which Christ thought in him. Think this in you which Christ thought in him. And so that asks the question, what is it that Christ thought in him? What did he think within himself? in the midst of everything that he was about to do with his volunteering to come and be our Savior. Well, Jesus in his humility was willing to give up his rights and obey God and serve people. What he thought in him in the midst of the humility was to give up his rights, his rights, to obey God and serve people. And I think what Paul's trying to say is like Christ, we should have a servant's attitude. We, we ourselves should serve out of a love for God and love for each other. And if not, then it creates or can create that kind of attitude. We shouldn't serve others and serve God out of guilt or fear or selfish ambition. Remember, you can choose your attitude. I remember when my kids were young and, uh, and, and they were beginning to form their personalities and on through their teenage years, I would always remind them, you've got you to have that P PMA, that positive mental attitude. You've got to take that on. And constantly driving that into their minds and their hearts that you choose your attitude. Paul says... Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. What you choose should be the way that Jesus responds and reacts to things. And so you can approach life expecting to be served, or you can look for opportunities to serve others. When you look for opportunities to serve others, something's changed in you. You, you value those others. You care about them. You want to invest in them. And their needs and their concerns each one of us I think this morning ought to evaluate our attitude side by side not with another person but with the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and then whatever adjustments that are needed in our lives to have his attitude then we ought to do them and that's a personal choice that's what's between you and God but this morning that's what I want us to think about who is the one who had such a 
humble attitude and how is he described? Well, I think the Apostle Paul describes him in three ways. Number one, he describes him as the eternal Christ. Paul began with this magnificent statement about Christ, taking us back into the eons and eons of time before creation. Creation's first morning had not yet dawned, and yet the Apostle Paul writes in verse 6, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Here he's talking about the pre-existent eternal Christ. He's not yet been born, but he is alive in all of the glory with the Father in eternity. Paul's words are very clear. He says, way back then, way back in eternity, Christ possessed the very nature of God. His words are reminiscent of what John wrote in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, referring to Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing has been made, was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John, in, in painting this picture of Jesus, says he was with God he is God so in verse 6 when Paul says who being in very nature God he was being instructive to these believers in Philippi he was helping them understand the pre-incarnate Christ before the incarnation being described as a, a past eternal state extended into time that's what is what he's trying to get across who being in very nature god what was always in eternity and extends all the way through to the, his incarnation and well beyond he has the nature of god you see he in eternity christ possessed the very nature of god and he was with god from the very beginning, he possessed and expressed that divine essence. And then we find in his incarnation, he still possessed that nature. And that is so critical because there will be some who will say, well, he, he was God, but when he was born, he became just man. And that's erroneous. The scripture is very clear that he had the very nature of God before and in the midst of the incarnation. In eternity, Christ knew that he was God and the angels knew that he was God. Holy, holy, holy had been the anthem of praise that had been sung to him well beyond Bethlehem's manger. Contrary to the haughty, selfish spirit being expressed by some of those in Philippi, Paul says that he was not haughty or selfish in his place of preeminence. He didn't say, hey, I'm God, deal with it. But in his humility, in verse 6, he said, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, that is, held on to at all costs, or to take for his own advantage. He didn't take the understanding that he was still God and say, you know what, I'm going to turn things. 
I'm going to make things exactly the way that I want them regardless. During the time of temptation, there are many things he could have done, but yet all he did was respond to Satan when he was tempted. When he was on the cross, he could have called, as a beautiful song says, 10,000 angels, but he didn't. Jesus stated in John 17, verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. In his high priestly prayer, he makes it very clear that he understood and knew. He is the eternal Christ. And Paul wants the church at Philippi, and he wants us to understand that he has always had the nature of God and been God. Secondly, he refers to him as the earthly Christ. When he moved to the incarnation of Christ, the one who had always been the Son of God now becomes the Son of Man. In verse 7, Paul says, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That incarnation was a voluntary action. The scripture says that Jesus made himself nothing. He was not forced, but he saw a great need of a Savior, and he responded voluntarily to that need. He said in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. He voluntarily comes, chooses to leave the glories of heaven for us. He was not forced. He was not blackmailed. The words in verse 7, made himself nothing, literally translated means emptied himself or poured himself out. Paul speaks of the pre-existent Christ who limits himself to become human like us. The Christ that he took on the role of a servant assumes that he forsook another role from his pre-existent life. The question is, what is that? What is it that Jesus emptied himself of in his incarnation? What does this mean? He made himself nothing, emptied himself. Well, it was not his deity, because we've already established from Scripture that his deity continued not only from before creation, from the very beginning, all the way through his incarnation and throughout his life. He's still God. But rather, he set aside the outward expression of his deity that he had always possessed. That's what he emptied himself of. The incarnation was the act of the preexistent Son of God voluntarily assuming a human body and human nature. Without ceasing to be God, he became a human being, a man by the name of Jesus, all God and all man. He did not give up his deity to become human but he set aside 
the right to his glory and his power. In submission to the Father's will, we find that Christ limited the power and the knowledge. Jesus of Nazareth was subject to, to time and to place and many other human limitations. He got tired. He needed rest. He needed food. All of these things in eternity because of his deity he had them whatever they were like in eternity in the pre-existent Christ but when he became through the incarnation man those were the things that he set apart that is a powerful statement for somebody to be willing to give up all of those things and ultimately to face the crucifixion the ridicule the physical agony and the spiritual battle with Satan all because of what reason it didn't benefit him who did it benefit who do you think us you and me that's who were the benefactors what made his humanity unique was his freedom from sin. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. In his full humanity, Jesus showed us everything about God's character that could be conveyed in human terms. He made the revelation of God to its fullest. There had been revelation, progressive revelation, all the way through the Old Testament. Christ is the final full revelation of God in his character. Paul tells us what that meant. In verse 7 he says, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The late R.G. Lee was fond of saying, he was as much God as God, but as much man as man is man. You see that servant nature that Jesus took on was communicated in the terms human likeness. That's what he took on in his birth. He laid aside that outward expression of his deity, the glory, the privilege, the majesty that had always been him, his. Always. Then he was born through the incarnation as a baby. And he grew as a child. And matured as a man as Luke 2:25 says or 52 says and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man this process of the eternal Christ becoming the earthly Christ full of his deity and yet coming in human likeness so that he could take on our our sin Augustine, the 4th century church father, called Jesus the God-man. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. One of the clearest pictures is found in John chapter 13 of the God-man. Because in John chapter 13, and all of his disciples come in, and he kneels down with a basin of water and of cloth, and he begins the process of washing their feet. 
It, it is a beautiful picture of what a servant should do. And here we have the eternal Christ becoming the earthly Christ, showing His humility and His servant heart by washing the feet of His disciples. If we're to take on the attitude of Christ, there is no better picture than this. That we don't assert our rights. We don't assert our education, our experience, our knowledge, our material wealth. Those are not the things to say, hey, I have this right to do this. But if we're going to take on the attitude of Christ, then like he set aside the glory that he had, everything, to become that little baby that would go to the cross. And that attitude should say we ourselves, we should empty ourselves out of the things that would keep us from valuing and loving each other. <laughs> Taking the very nature of a servant, Paul said, a voluntary action. The only thing that coerced, the only thing that motivated Jesus was his love for sinners like you and me. Paul tells us in verse 8 how far his love for us extended. The scripture says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death. And it's here that as you read this scripture, there's almost this incredible sigh that Paul makes while he's writing this. I, I can only imagine as he's writing this that he is worshiping God in the midst of what he's saying. He realizes even once again this is who Christ is. And the magnitude of his humility, he says, he, be, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. <sighs> Even death on the cross. He didn't just pass away in the middle of the night. It wasn't an accident. But Paul says, he did this for you. He became obedient to death. But listen, it's the worst death in our time frame, Paul says. This is the worst thing that could happen to someone in our day, he says. Paul seems, when he says, even death on the cross, I can almost see him celebrating saying oh what a di divine love that is <laughs> paul describes jesus as the eternal christ the earthly christ and last he describes him as the exalted christ in all of literature i don't think you're going to find anything as majestic as what comes next 
because of Christ's unselfish spirit. And remember that there were some at the church at Philippi that had an attitude. They, they, they had um, uh, selfish ambition. Uh, there was this idea of being conceited, if you remember in scriptures before. Those that felt they had a right to have the position or the power or the word that they did. And so because of his unselfish spirit, in contrast to the spirit of some of those in the church at Philippi, he gave himself to die in humility the death of a criminal. I don't, I'm not sure we can ever really fully understand how the, the God of creation who had everything comes here and dies the death of a criminal. But that's what Paul said. And in verse 9 he says, But God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him that name which is above every name. Volumes have been written about what is that name? What is the name that has been given to the exalted Christ? And I understand it simply to be defined in verses 10 and 11 when Paul says, The name of Jesus before which every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the name that is above every name. That is the name of the exalted one. It is such a powerful statement, Paul says, in this time of worship. And let me tell you what. You might think you're something here, and you are to God. But there ought to be this attitude of Christ, of servanthood, of humility, because I'm going to tell you what, when you take your last breath here and you enter into heaven, you're going to be on your knees confessing Jesus Christ alone. The word Jesus means Jehovah saves. It was given to him prophetically before he was born that he would be the one that would save his people from their sins, Matthew said. He died, he was raised from the dead, he's now seated at the Father's right hand, and one of these days he's going to make his way back here. And that name which was given to him prophetically is now earned by him actually as he fulfills the prophecies of his death, burial, and resurrection. He who was named Savior by the angel earned that name by his sacrifice and his victorious resurrection from the dead. Using this magnificent demonstration of, of, of humility and self-emptying love by him who is above heaven and earth, Paul pleaded with those in the church who were haughty, who were quarrelsome, who had this vain conceit, who had their own ambition to lay aside their pride and walk humbly with each other and before Christ. That is his charge to the believers. In this passage, Paul tells these few proud, self-centered Philippians whose church is divided by their quarrelsome spirit to remember who you are. Remember who you are. 
you are the spiritual beneficiaries of him though above all people and above all things humbly laid aside his glory his rights to take on the cruel cross so that you and me so that we could have our sins eradicated because we sure couldn't do it ourselves encourage them to live humbly before God and each other to be done with their self-centered pride that has begun to destroy the fellowship of their church and in doing that Paul cites the selflessness and the humility of Jesus that brought him from the glories of heaven where there was everything and he was over it all here to this earth to be your savior to be the one who would give you life everlasting to be the one to bring you back into fellowship with the father which is his desire and for us today I think Christ's example of humility and love is a call for us to follow. I think his example and his attitude in the midst of humility is ought to be our attitude of humility and our example for life and for each other. It's also a call to make sure that Jesus is your Savior because He's done everything for you. Provided your eternal life if you would choose. But also, it is a call for us to make Jesus the Lord of our life. The director of our life. The one who directs how we respond to things, to people. Paul said, your attitude should be the attitude of Jesus. The eternal Christ, the earthly Christ, and the exalted Christ. The exalted Christ where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of all including your life Father as we move into our time of invitation we just ask you specifically to help us to take what we have listened and what your spirit has spoken to us each one of us differently and I pray that whatever it takes for us to have a Christ-like attitude not defined by our own definitions, but defined by who Christ is. Exampled by His humility, His selflessness, His unconditional love. And Father, that is not only for us to receive as our Savior, but for us to live out in our life before you but also to live it to 
each other, one another, no matter what. And I pray that this morning, God, you would help us to refocus on who Christ is and his sacrifice. And Father, today we would make decisions to sacrifice whatever it is and however we need to make adjustments in our lives to take on your son's attitude. And Father, as we make those decisions in the pew where we're sitting, I ask that they would be meaningful. I pray that your Holy Spirit would overpower us with understanding of how much Jesus gave because he loves us. And that we would love and value each other. And Father, where those are today that have never given their life to Jesus Christ, I pray that this morning that's what they will choose to do, to say, that's who I want in my life. I've been hungering for that. And this morning I pray, God, that those decisions would be made and made public. And for those choosing to say, you know what, this is the kind of church we want to be a part of that loves Jesus, loves each other, and loves our community and wants to invest in it. So, Father, speak to us and help, help our response in this invitation to be an act of worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand for our invitation. Ms. Nancy will be leading that song. I'll be at the front. If there's any decision you want to make this morning, please you come and make it. Just as
thank you so much. Would you be seated, please? Just a moment, we're going to watch a, uh, a very short video focused on prayer. We are really uh, encouraging as many as possible to sign up for the Watchman Prayer Ministry. Basically, I'm going to sign up for an hour every week to pray for revival and spiritual awakening in the ministries of this church. It's a very focused prayer time. We all pray, but this is a concentrated time that God calls us to do. So in the four-year as you leave, there will be individuals that will help you sign up for one of those hours. And I, I, I want you to understand that this is not... Um, we understand that people pray in a lot of ways. But praying for revival and spiritual awakening is very intense and to what we have seen at Asbury University over 16 days has spread there are representatives of over 200 college campuses in the United States and uh, and around the world that have experienced that we're seeing outbreaks at different places this this is a special movement of God God works all the time and he's working in our church and he's working in the ministries of our church but this is a special outpouring of a movement of God and we need to pray for them but we also need to pray that God would bless us in that way because not only does First Baptist Church Sun City West and our ministry here need God's moving but we need it in our state in our country and the world needs it so if you would watch this video and uh, after the video Miss Nancy will talk about our life together uh, but please pray about being a part of the Washington Prayer Ministry for centuries, Christians have been known as men and women of prayer, people who lift up their cares and concerns to the Father in heaven. Why is that? Why do we pray? We pray because it aligns the mind of the Christian with the will of Christ. We pray because Jesus commanded us to pray at all times, in all places. We pray because the God who knows all and sees all, hears all. We pray because it is the blessed link between human weakness and divine omnipotence. We pray not because it is some religious rule, but because the Lord is God. We pray because it is the most simple and practical way to say, I am not God. We pray not because it is a burden to us, but because it liberates us from all other burdens. We pray, because it is exactly what the devil does not want us to do. We pray, because God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five years. We pray, because it is the one thing that supersedes everything else on our to-do list today. We pray, because we are too busy not to pray. We pray, because somewhere, sometime, someone prayed for us. And we pray, because the greatest tragedy of the Christian life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Prayer is powerful. That's why we pray. I do hope you will take advantage of being a part of that powerful ministry, Watchman Prayer. Two weeks from today, we will be having our spring fling 
at 5 o'clock in the afternoon on March the 12th. You will see in your bulletin that Heidi Hernandez, who is an excellent harpist, will be here, and she will be doing a concert of secular and show tunes. You need a ticket for that, and you may purchase a ticket if you haven't already by going to the small lobby table when we're finished in just a few minutes. The cost is $16 for dinner and for hearing Dr. Hernandez play her harp. Next Sunday, we need those baby bottles returned that you've been taking and filling with coins or with checks, paper money, but those will go to help New Life Pregnancy Center. I also invite you to look at the back of your bulletin. There are just a number of opportunities for you to serve and be a part of the ongoing ministries of our church. One thing, just one thing for March, those are food items that go to help St. Mary's Food Bank. And you'll see for the month of March, individual snacks, crackers, and cookies. So please be a part of that ministry when you go shopping at the grocery store, just pick up a few extra things and bring them to the donation room. There's a box there, and those are taken each week to St. Mary's Food Bank. Would you stand now as Dr. Nixon comes to lead us in our closing prayer? Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this wonderful day today. We pray for everyone in this room, and you know each and every one of us by name. You know our needs, our hurts, our heartaches, and comfort us, we pray. We thank you for all the good things we have heard this morning and help us to put them into practice in our daily lives. We pray as well that we will have our thoughts and our walk and our words and our actions in accordance to your will and your way. We pray for this nation, America, and we pray as well for our country, Canada, because we know we have strayed so far from what you would want us to be. But we are so grateful for your patience, your care, your mercy, your love, your grace, your forgiveness, and above all, the great love and compassion that you have for us. Help us in turn to care about others, to forgive others, and to love others. We thank you for sending your Son, who is our advocate, our intercessor, our friend, and above all, our Savior. We pray as we will leave this week that we will be ambassadors for you. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. amen. amen.